As I mentioned before, so glad that you're here with us. I actually, uh, I failed to mention that we do have some guests with us this morning. See, we as a church, uh, oh, oh man, like probably eight, nine months ago, we got a call from, from uh, another, another pastor. His name's Perna, and Perna was like, hey, you know, our church is too big for my brother's basement, and we're growing. But every time we call and we try to get into a church to worship there and, and to have a service there, they won't allow us to because we're not Baptist, not Baptist or, or we're not Methodist or we're not Presbyterian. And he's like, I'd just love to meet with you and just see if we could, we could maybe worship at your building when you guys aren't worshiping. And so um, Perna and I met, and I think uh, Jiwan was with him. I forget, there were a couple other guys. And, uh, and just hearing their heart for Christ and, and speaking with our elders, it, it was like, this is going to be new for us, but we want to open up our building to our brothers and sisters in Christ from, from another culture to be able to give them an opportunity. So many of them are here back in the back uh, this morning. They're hanging out with us. So I, like, I don't know, I don't, this, do we give them a round of applause? or Let's do that, yeah. I was going to say we should all turn around and wave, but that would be like really awkward. So, so don't do that. All right, you, you can individually turn around and wave throughout the sermon. There we go. Uh, but no, we just have this heart for, you know what? God is God. And if we can do something to help other people follow him, regardless of the language that they speak or the nation they're from or the color of their skin, then we want to help that happen. And this is one way we felt we could help that happen. So this morning we decided to do kind of this like joint service where we wanted to be able to invite them, talk about a subject that I think is near to Christ's heart. It's very near to my heart as well as we look at God's heart for bringing people together. So we're going to look in the scene uh, in, in the book of Revelation. We've been there um, last week as well. We'll be there next week. And, and we talked about it from the perspective of our series is called Aspire. And Aspire is the idea that you set your hopes you direct your hopes. You do this, I don't know if you realize this, but you do this every time you plan a vacation. Every time you plan a vacation, you begin to set your hopes on something. And as you plan, as you make, make sacrifices to make that happen, you begin to aspire it. You've directed your hope somewhere. And what the book of Revelation is trying to do is to direct your hope to the greatest rest, the greatest enjoyment, the greatest pleasure that you'll experience, which is with God in heaven one day. And so Revelation is written from that perspective. We get hung up on, on some of it, so I want to just walk through real quickly what we talked about last week, that the Bible is written to be understood. The overall message of, of Revelation cannot be lost if you read it, that Jesus is king and he's coming to reign. And his people are going to get to enjoy that with him. Throughout the book, you see these symbols try to carry along the, the story or to emphasize certain points. And so we talked about that last week um, because it's not beginning a new conversation. The book of Revelation is, is concluding an already going conversation. That's why if you read it, you, you see a lot of references back to the Old Testament and it's kind of bringing it all together into one spot. We've got a narrator who's recording this all. His name's John. And John last week was distraught, this week he's not. Last week he was upset, this week he's excited, he's thrilled, and he's, he's just passionate for what's happening. Shared a quote last week from Ayn Rand, an atheist philosopher, who said that the highest of human pleasures is admiration. Admiration is the highest of human pleasures. And, and we talked about how that's really a biblical concept. How God is the center of our admiration, we call it glory, and we're made to give God glory. We're made to pursue what is our highest pleasure, to admire God. 
And we're in the throne room of God as we're, we're seeing Jesus be admired and he's the center of the celebration. And really the way that you, you, this is written, it's written in the terms of what would have been a Near East uh, uh, coronation ceremony. That they're looking for a king, they bring the king, the king is there, and, and gifts are offered, and then people, people praise him. And so you have this coronation ceremony, which in my opinion, reading this and studying this, I, I really see what's in Revelation 5, is after Jesus takes the scroll, inheriting the kingdom, he becomes the, the center of it all. And I think, you know what happens here? I think they have the most perfect and ultimate church service ever. I think if you look at what's happening in Revelation 5, this is what every single church service that has ever happened is anticipating, is a service when one day we'll get together, we'll sing songs, there'll be truth proclaimed, there's leadership, and Jesus is at the center of it all. I think every church service is anticipating Revelation 5 when Jesus is physically present in front of us. And we're singing the songs, and we're hearing truth proclaimed, and he's right there, and we're worshiping him. And I think it's going to be amazing. Check it out, Revelation chapter 5 uh, and verse 8. It says, and, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls, bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Let's pray as we, we consider this text. God, I thank you so much, and I just ask, Lord, that, uh, that you would help us to begin to live out what we anticipate in a church service. That what we do here would be sort of this, this uh, foreshadowing of the event we just read about. Lord, that as one day you are praised physically in person, that we regularly get together and we praise you spiritually now. Uh, Father, I pray that you give us wisdom to be able to do that, that these celebrations wouldn't just be on Sunday, but the attitude and the praise would carry throughout our week. And you ask, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. So I, I want to walk through several things that I think make this the ultimate church service. And I think within that, you find really an idea of what your role in that should be and, and really how that should transform your life on a day-to-day -day basis. And so what we'll see is, is a number of these, and we're going to focus really on the last one because of the nature of our service today where we've got some guests with us who I love. And, and they're actually, this is going to be really cool. I'm excited for this. I'm almost tempted to just end the sermon right now. Uh, they're going to come up. Their worship team is going to lead our closing song. We're not probably going to understand it unless you speak Nepali. If so, I'm impressed. That's awesome. Um, but, but they're going to play that song, and I think it's just going to be this kind of foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. Because I don't know about you, but when I was a kid and I pictured heaven, it, it wasn't in color. It wasn't in black and white. It was white. And I'm, I'm just being real honest with my upbringing in southern Lancaster County. I just assumed that everybody there looked like me spoke like me. And I don't think that's the case. So let, let, let's build. Um, so here's, here's a couple things that make this the ultimate church service. Number one, God loves prayer like we love candles. God loves prayer like we love candles. And the text is that the, the elders are standing there with these golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And I, I was thinking about that, like, man, have you ever walked in somewhere and you just smell a really nice candle? 
Doesn't it change the atmosphere? What do you do when you got com- company coming over? Light a candle. I don't want you to smell what my house actually smells like, so we're going to light a candle to deceive you into thinking that I clean. <laughs> um, it, candles smell nice. It's this warming, pleasant aroma. God loves prayer like we love candles. And think about this. This is the throne room of God. And, the, and John, as he writes this, puts this little piece in to encourage you to say, hey, this is why you should be praying. Because God enjoys this. It's a pleasant aroma to him. And your prayers show up in the throne room of God. And I was thinking about this, and we're actually going to spend a whole series on prayer as we get closer to the summer, so I don't want to just like give you all my thoughts on that right now. But there's just one important statement that I wanted to like just put out there for you to take with you, you to think about when you're driving in the car or when you're going for a walk or wherever it is that you've got time with your head that you're not doing anything. Right? Or maybe you just got to make that time. Um, but every time you pray in humility, it brings delight to God. Every time you pray in humility, I think that's important, it brings delight to God. Because I don't think that if you go to God like demanding, like God, why didn't you? Or God, like, I, don't, I don't necessarily know those are the incense-filled prayers. Um, but I, I do think we need to be real with God, but that's, that's another sermon for another day. But, but I think this idea of going to God in humility is a delight to God. I thought about this and how to portray it. It's like, it's like you are a peasant, but you happen to be friends with the king. You're the peasant, but you happen to be friends with the king. And so there's still this air of wow when you walk into the, the king. When, when you go into the palace and you go into the throne room, there's still this sense of wow. But, but then as you begin to move past that, the, there's the casual aspect of your friends. Jesus says, you are my friends to his followers. And it brings a delight to God. If there's any part of you that wants to make God smile, pray. Any part of you that wants to just delight him, pray. Candles don't connect with me as much as like a good, good smelling dinner. <laughs> Yeah, like in our little uh, Creekvale townhome area, uh, I often like smoke meat on the smoker, and, and uh, different people will be walking by. And they're like, "What you cooking over there?" I'm like, "Nothing." <laughs> <laughs> I got cameras out back, man. You stay away from my barbecue. It smells good. It's an aroma. Your prayers are that to God. So when you drive, smell good to God. When you're a waiting room, or, or or just when you're having a rough day, man, smell good to him. It's part of the ultimate church service, and it can be part of your everyday life. You know what I, I think we should pray for? I think we should pray for God to do new things through us. Right? Think for God to do new things that cause us to pray. Because that's one of the notes that, that shows up here when it says, sing to me a new song. And, and so, so what we understand then is that God loves when our praise is fresh, not stale. He loves when our praise is fresh, not stale, because he's done something new. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, this idea of a new song comes up again and again. Six times in the book of Psalms, we're encouraged to sing a new song, that we have this this trend where God keeps doing stuff in us and through us, that we want to sing a new one so we don't just keep singing the same, same ones because God's always doing something new. 
Um, yesterday, I took advantage of the snow, and I hurt myself a bunch by going sledding with the kids, which seems to be the MO. The older I get, the more things I used to do uh, hurt. So, so we went sledding. I, I actually, I brought my sled with me this morning. Go ahead, grab it for me, Sandy. Um, because the kids were all out on their, like, their saucers and their like, smooth plastic ones. I was like, I got to show you what a sled is. This, thank you, right here. This is a sled. This is an Adirondack toboggan right here. And somebody actually worked hard to make this, right? And this thing is cool. And you know what? Like, I was getting the sleds out of the sheds at my in-law's house, and I, and I saw this one sitting up there. And I was like, man, there's a lot of great memories with that sled. And I grabbed the other ones, and I started walking out. I was like, you know what? I think when my dad bought this for us when we were kids 20, 30 years ago, I bet he, he didn't want this to stop making memories for us. It's like, I'm going to get it out. I, have no, I had to go down on it first by myself just to make sure that it didn't like break apart into pieces and, and, and just miserably hurt me. So um, I went down. It, it was great. And then all of a sudden, like, this became the sled, right, where people are like, I want to try that thing. My brother used this as a snowboard going down. And, uh, yeah, and surprisingly, it didn't, didn't break, but it was awesome. And I remember it was funny because in my head, I was like, this thing used to be 12 feet long. Because when you're a kid, I'm like, how did my dad, my brother, and my brother and I all fit on this thing? So like, I literally sat down. I was like, boys, come on. Uh, that's not going to work. <laughs> like, uh, I'll just take one of you. One of you, and we'll go down. And, and what I found was, like, instead of this sitting up in the shed, not getting any use, it, we brought it out, and it made new memories, and it was awesome. Man, God loves when we chase after new memories for him. God loves when we find new reasons to praise him. We can't just get hung up on the fact that there's a great memory up on the shelf. No, let, let's serve again. Let's run after him again. Let's chase after him and be patient or be passionate again and see what he can do for me, through me because I don't want to just live on the memories of what God used to do. I want to see what he can do. And so Revelation is this challenge to sing new songs. Because there's a God who keeps doing new things. One of our values is we expect God to do great things because he always has. So let's not just look back at the memories. Let's see what he does in front of us. Let's keep following after him and sing new songs to praise him. So we got prayer. He loves prayer like we love candles. And he loves when we're fresh, not stale in our praise. And, and then, then as we look at that, there's this reality where, where we also need to understand that that he values when we view ourselves from his perspective, not our own. When he values us, he values us from his perspective, not our own. If I were to ask you um, why you do or do not value yourself, most of us would probably beat ourselves up for things. Like if you, if you were just being incredibly honest. If I said, how do you feel about yourself? And you might, and you're just being like totally vulnerable, you might complain about your, your physical appearance. You might talk about some embarrassing moments that you've had in the past, some failures, some flaws, some, some desire to do things that you have not been able to do in life and, and how you just, like if you were able to do that, if you were to get there, if you were to clean this up or change that, then you would feel good about yourself and, and you'd have a sense of self-worth that's there. And, and I was thinking about this and, and I was wondering just how do you, how do you personally determine your, we- your worth? Like your sense of self-worth. How, how do you determine that? Is it how smart you are? How good you look? 
what's on your paycheck or how many people are impressed with you. I find oftentimes people prove their self-worth by, by whether or not they proved other people wrong who doubted them. And if you can prove those people wrong, then, then you are worth something. You, you want to know what something's worth? What someone's willing to pay for it, right? What they're willing to let go of to obtain it. In Revelation, Jesus Christ is praised because of the fact that he paid the ultimate price with his blood for you. Not for what you think about yourself, but because of how he saw you. He let go of his comfort, he let go of his life so he could bring us life. The one who is worthy of the highest praise paid the highest price because he felt we were worth it. And, and so as you think about yourself, you need to understand that you never have to question your worth again. If you're rejected, if you're mocked, if you're laughed at, if you're judged, if people cancel their plans on you and you, you wonder why, and like is there something wrong with you? Look, you've got to make up your mind. Do you determine your worth by a bunch of other people who fail to get things right? Or do you determine your worth based on Jesus Christ and his perspective of you? Because no narrative attributes more value to you. No story grants you a higher price than the Christian story. That God loved you so much that he gave you the death of his son. And so your boss looking down on you, your spouse talking down to you, man, they're uninformed art critics taking shots at a Michelangelo. Because Ephesians 2 says you're God's masterpiece. His handiwork. How, how, do you, how do you view yourself? And I'm not saying you sit there and say, oh, I'm awesome, I'm, I'm so great. Look, just understand, you're loved. That's what matters. Wrap your head around that. Not because of how great you can perform or how great you can impress, but you're just loved. You're, you're worth his love and his attention and his heart. And I pray that you take that to heart. Stop letting other people tell you how much you're worth. The word, the word here, by the way, in the Greek is agorazo, uh, which means to redeem, to buy. And specifically, it means not just that you want to buy it so you can buy it. You want to buy it so you can redeem its purpose, so you can use it for something else. It's like you, you went to Red Robin and you saw one of these on the wall, uh, these toboggans, because they always put crazy stuff on their wall. And you're like, no, 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 that's, what, that's not what that's for. It's not for decoration. I'm going to buy it so that I can use it for its right purpose. And that's what God does. He looks and he says, I want to buy you for a purpose. I want to buy you for loyalty to me for my calls. To love God, to love people, to encourage people to follow after him. Leon Morris, a great New Testament theologian, he, he says that we're not bought into a life of selfish ease. Rather, we're bought at terrible cost to become loyally devoted. We're not, we're not just bought so that we can do whatever we want and, and not care about God. No, we're bought and redeemed for a purpose. That we would follow after him and be loyal to his cause. And, and part of that cause is what we see in Revelation 5 where, where they go, and you are worthy to receive praise from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And, and, and so then he, here's where we want to go with the the rest of our, our attention this morning, is, is then if that's, if that's where we're going, if that's what's central to the heart of God, that not just one people group praises him, 
but every people group praises him, then how much am I loyal to that cause? Like, how devoted to that am I? If that's important to him, he bought me, then, then maybe that should be likewise important to me. M- maybe that's part of the new memories that God's going to have for me. And so, like, I, I know we don't normally just stop and pray in the middle of a sermon, but I want to stop and pray right now. So you don't have to, but I'm going to. Uh, God, I thank you so much that you have bought us, you purchased us because you felt we were worth it. God, I pray that we see how worth it others were as well. And Lord, whatever's in our heart in this area, as we look at an area that's just been difficult throughout human history, I pray that in our heart we'd at least get it right. In your name, amen. You know what part of this ultimate church service is? It, uh, it's that the cross puts all people on the same platform. Just puts every person in the world on the same platform. That Jesus did what he did, not because any single people group or any single person could earn this. He solely did it because none of us could. Because he loved us. Um, I was reading some of John Piper's teaching on this, and John Piper's big on this particular area. We'll look at a quote from him in a little bit. But he was, he was talking about uh, how, how really what you see in Revelation is a picture of where God is taking history, where he's moving history to, what his plans are and how he's going to get it there. And so you see that in Revelation. This is where God's going. And, and, and so that you see then this picture of what history is about. That this is about a bunch of people coming to the place to know and praise Jesus Christ as king, regardless of their ethnicity, their language, or the color of their skin, that that Jesus' death is able to do what the world has never been able to do, fully unite people across ethnic, racial, and linguistic barriers. You understand that billions of people have died over that thing because they couldn't figure this out. Because we've judged people and we, we've said that one person is higher than another. I love the way Bob Utley puts it when he says racism is mankind's ego supporting itself on the backs of others. Racism is mankind's ego supporting itself on the backs of others. It's about pride. And so the church in its purest form has all the notes of a harmony beautifully played together with a variety of instruments all playing in this, this single tune that Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise. He's worthy no matter what language you speak or what country you're from. And so here, here's what I'm gonna do. I wanna, I wanna give you three reasons I think this should become your mentality and then two challenges for how to play this out in, in your life. Um, so the three reasons um, are, are simply that we all cost the same price. We all need to find the same path. We all end up with the same purpose. Same price, same path, same purpose. And that's true of anybody you'll ever meet. You could meet them in the middle of nowhere in a tribe uh, in Africa. You could meet them on, on a beach in Tahiti. It doesn't matter. It's the same price, same, uh, same path, and same purpose. So we start with the same price. Uh, Piper says this, the issue of racial ethnic diversity in the church is not small because the price of racial, di- racial diversity in harmony and harmony was infinite. In other words, that, that this, this should not be unimportant to us because of exactly how much it costs Christ to obtain it. And his purchase wasn't exclusive. It wasn't that he purchased one people group and didn't pay for another. And what we see is the reality that the sins of a white man are the same as the sins of a black man, the same as the sins of a Nepali or the same as a Chinese person. Sin is sin. And the blood of Jesus covers it all. Whatever the race, all sins require Jesus' blood 
And Jesus loved enough to cover all. You know how much he wanted this? Do you know like how passionate he was for this? Ephesians 2 tells us he broke stuff to, got it, to get it. Like he destroyed things to get this. And speaking about his death and how it brings unity, Ephesians 2 and verse 14 says that for he himself, Jesus, is our peace. He made the two groups one. Now let me pause there. He's talking about the Jewish people and the Gentile people who by, by nature hated each other, especially the Jewish attitude towards the Gentiles was your dogs. Like they honestly would call them dogs to their face. And Jesus sees it and through his death makes the two one. Look at what he does. He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The results, the implication of his death is to destroy that which divides, to remove a barrier. And, and so like, I hope, I hope as we come to reality and come to terms with the fact that what Jesus paid for my sins is the exact same cost it took to pay for uh, a sins of, uh, of a young man I just met from Jamaica who was singing praise songs to him at Penn State University on Thursday night. Same exact cost. And I hope that within that, then the dividing wall of hostility doesn't just break down spiritually. I hope it breaks down practically in our own hearts. That, that we stop assuming something to be true of an entire people group, an entire of, uh, of every single person within that people group. I hope we just love people. Because Jesus Christ paid the same price for all people. So it's the same price and it's the same path as well. Because in his death we're pro proclaiming that all men equally sin and all men can equally be saved through faith. Right? It's not like there's a second tier of heaven for people who aren't American. That we, that we would get to the same place because of the same path. And so the reality is that we're all made by the same God. We're all brought into the same broken world. We're all saved by the same loving God. We're all bought with the same blood. And we all end up in, the same, in front of the same throne. So you tell me what the difference is just in the way we look and the way we sound. But we take the same exact path to Jesus Christ. Some of the most moving moments were me, for me were, were interacting with other people across cultures in the Dominican Republic and in places where the poorest of the poor are there and seeing that these are still people that God has called me to love. They're not less than us. They're not beneath us because they don't have a culture of ease and, and affluence like our culture does not mean they're less valuable as humans especially to god and so pride in your origin should be countered with the humility of your destination the pride of your origin should be countered with the humility of your destination that we're all going to end up in the same place and, and, and there will we will all end up somewhere because someone else did something for us we'll all end up somewhere because someone else did something for us there isn't a person who's in there because they earned it. Revelation 5, you see the multitudes of nations praising God, and there's not one nation who's like, yeah, we actually bought our own way in here. Jesus is, is he's nice, but we paid, for, we paid our own way. No, every one of us got there because he paid. And so the very idea that, that we have this pride that says, no, 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 I'm better, or my way is better, or my thoughts are better, or I'm just a better person, is, is beneath what the Scriptures teach us. It runs contrary to the very heart of God. And so we have the same price, we have the same path, and then we have the same purpose. Because it says every tribe, every language, every tongue, every nation, and, and he made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve and to reign. 
We have the same purpose. That diversity is on the same team seamlessly. That we're part of what God's doing there. And, and so the kingdom is about this access and this privilege to God and to be able to serve him. I was thinking about this, and one of the things that touched my heart as, as I spoke with Perna about this, with, with the Nepali people and their story, of how they originally went to, to Bhutan, the country of Bhutan, and they were there, and then as they grew, the Bhutanese government was uncomfortable with them being there, and they sent them back to Nepal. And so then the Nepalese government doesn't feel like they should be part of Nepal, so they build refugee camps because they're not really Bhutanese, they're not really Nepal. And my fear is, is perhaps within their heart, they bought into this idea that, that they are less than the Nepali citizens, they're less than the Bhutanese citizens, and therefore somehow they're less in the kingdom of God. And so I had the opportunity to preach for them uh, over the summer, and my, my heart, my challenge to them was you are not second class in the kingdom of heaven. There is no American privilege in God's kingdom. What the scriptures say is true of the person who's in Christ. It's true of everybody in Christ. Now, I hope we do a good job of extending our love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Regardless of where they're from or what their history has been, that, that we understand that in God's eyes, Asian Christian, Christians are not less privileged than African American Christians. There's no second class, class ethnicities in the kingdom of God. And so as we aspire, as we direct our hope, I hope that we direct our hope there. That there's a multitude of people in front of the kingdom of God who are excited. And I hope that that hope carries over into everyday life. We don't shy away from a conversation with somebody because they're different than us. Right? That we would look and say, no, no, this is what, this is what the king wants. And, and look, I understand that this may run against what you're used to and what your heritage was. And that's fine. I, just, I hope you take it up with the king. Talk to him. And see what his heart is for this. And, and engage him with the dialogue you, you would say um, to somebody else. Because we go to the same king. And to him, another culture's worship is not less satisfying than ours. And to him, another culture's prayers don't bring him less delight than ours. And, and so we look and see what the scriptures say, where, where God is praised with every tongue, every tribe, every nation. You know what just fascinates me about this? Diversity is maintained in eternity. We don't get to heaven and all of a sudden God says, all right, now you're all going to look the same. You understand that in heaven, everything that's wrong is made right. And this isn't made right. This stays the same. So there's something about this that God delights in. Whereas I've said before that diversity is a canvas for beauty in God's eyes. It's just how he made the world. You know what the, the narrator is telling us here? That no one should be for racial equality more than the follower of Jesus Christ. No one. Because there's no narrative that puts us exactly on the same page. None that does it the way that Jesus Christ does. Nobody should be more for racial equality than Jesus, the followers of Jesus Christ. And so at Susquehanna Valley, um, racial unity is very important to us. We've got a value. Everyone's invited. And that's everyone's invited regardless of. And you can say whatever you want at the tail end of that. Everyone's invited. If God wants people to hear about his truth, then they're welcome here. And so if that's what eternity's like, let's not wait for that. Let's be that now. Let's be open and accepting. So here, here's the two challenges. Right, So we, we all work cost the same price. We all take the same path to get there. And we all have the same purpose forever. 
So, so here's two challenges for us personally. Number one, pray for forgiveness where you've erred in the past. Like where you've just, where you've in the past have, have, have looked down on someone or maybe specifically avoided someone, just pray for forgiveness. Confess to God where this was in your heart because it's contrast to the very purpose of what God has called us to be. I had a, a couple hours yesterday where I, um, uh, well actually not a couple hours, I had about 45 minutes where I made a phone call to a, a dear friend of mine who I hadn't seen in, in a little while and I wanted to ask him questions and I wanted to gain his perspective on this because this is a guy who when his wife and him couldn't conceive children, they went and adopted cross-culturally. And I just wanted to learn from him to just kind of say, hey, like what, what has that experience taught you about God's heart for the nations, specifically as a person who's an American? Like could you just clue me in, give me and by default give my church a bunch of wisdom from, from that experience? And so he told me um, his story of, of how they decided to adopt an Asian daughter and a Hispanic son. They adopted an Asian daughter because one day he got a brochure that came across his desk that saved, said save, child one day, uh, save China one child at a time. Like, okay, I will. And so they did. They went to China and, and they, they saved uh, a little girl. And then the Hispanic son was a personal adoption, private. They knew somebody who knew somebody um, and they needed adoption. They, they needed a child to be adopted, so they privately adopted them. Um, and he was talking about this and he said, it, they didn't think about it being cross-cultural at first. It was really something they learned. Um, there was one part that stood out right away and that was how prejudiced his family was and how that came out. And how that was something that they had to overcome and work through. Um, and then, then, then he went on to talk about um, something that I thought was very enlightening and that, that I thought, I need, I need to say this to you. Um, he said this, that we as Americans have this idea because we are wealthy and we have big churches and we have lots of money that we have to go save the world and we forget how the rest of the world feels about that. And he asked this question, how would they look at us or how would we look at them if the roles were reversed? If China was saying, hey, we're going to go save American babies, how would you feel? And he, he was saying, I wouldn't want to discourage anybody's heart from adopting, but I want to take away an, an American elitist culture mentality where we think just because we're American, we're better than everybody else. That just because we do it this way, that's the way that it should be done. He said, well, the, the attitude towards my wife and I when we went to China is that you're coming all here with all your American money to buy our children. And we've got to understand that that's American privilege at its finest. And here's the deal. I'm, I'm by, by no means anti-American. I hope you're not even beginning to think that. I just want to open your eyes to the way, to, to the reality of the rest of the way, the way the rest of the world can see us. And, and so I said, should that discourage us from pursuing you know, adoption? He said, no, not, not at all. Um, it shouldn't discourage us. It should just make us more educated and more prepared that we would be better at being a steward, a student of other people's cultures. That we wouldn't think that just because that's how we do it, that's how it should be done. That we could learn from somebody else as much as they could actually learn from us. And probably more in many scenarios. Um, I, I said, why, wh or what would you say to someone who, who struggles with prejudice, like from your experience, you know, what, what would your thoughts be? And he was incredibly gracious for somebody who this is a big passion to them. He's incredibly gracious. He said, I, I would just encourage them to ask God to help change their minds. Because some of this is ingrained in us from the way we were raised. Some of this is by birth who we are. 
And, and it's us going, no, no, no. It's natural for us to seek, seek people who are like us, but God's doing something different. It's natural to want to see people like us, but man, God calls us to love those who are different than us. And for that to become a big passion for us. And so look, my, my hope is where we've erred on this in the past, that it becomes an opportunity for us to confess and say, God, this isn't as important to me as it is to you, and I want to change that. I want this to be important to me. So here, here's the second one. That we would be a people who risk social awkwardness to demonstrate Jesus' heart. Because let's, let's be real. That's, that's what we're afraid of. To go up and have a conversation with somebody who's different than us, the conversation may not be as smooth. You might have to get a little closer. You might have to listen a little more intently or ask them to repeat themselves. You might have to consider a cultural viewpoint that's different. It was interesting, like, as Perna and I talk, um, learning some of the differences in the way that their culture operates and the way that ours did. And one of the ways that, that came out was they wanted to have um, this event where they cooked for us and made some incredible food, which was awesome. Um, and Perna was like, you know what, we're, we're going to have uh, dinner for you. And see, American culture is very detail-driven. And we might think that's a good thing. Nepali culture is very flexible from what I've learned. Forgive me if I get this wrong, guys, but this is my best to showcase what I think is one of your strengths. But so Perna's like, we're gonna have this, this meal. I'm like, awesome. I'm like, so, so are you gonna have like enough chairs? Are you gonna have enough tables? You know, what is your plan if it rains? What are you gonna do? And, and Perna's like, we'll just take care of it. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, what's the plan? <laughs> and Perna's like, the plan is we have people who can make new plans. I'm like, no, 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 but like we need to have chairs ready. We got to have napkins and there's got to be spoons. And he's like, we got it. Like, just stop being American. Let me be Nepali. We got it. And I love it. And I love it. Because you know what I find in that flexibility? Like, I, you, know what I lo- you know what I absolutely love about a Nepali culture? America is when we begin a conversation, there's a time, there's a time clock that begins ticking in our head of how long am I going to spend talking to this person. That is not the case with a Nepali person. They're just there to talk to you because talking to you is more important than the time of what you could be doing somewhere else. I mean, so, so I love it. They're, they're super flexible. There is a learning curve, and it is going to be awkward at times. So what? Awkwardness is not an excuse to prohibit the gospel and the opportunity to do what Jesus loves. It, it's just not. Uh, we as a church, we're going to keep moving forward. We got Southside down the road, which is filled with minority students, and we're going to love them. We're going to show them that, yeah, Jesus is bigger than the color of your skin. So we're just going to love you. Uh, you know what? This, this is so true of me. I hate paper. That's why, like, people think I gave up my office for, like, to be kind. Of I gave up my office because I hate paper. And an office would just be a place for paper. So that's why I got rid of my office, because I don't want any paper around. So if I save a piece of paper... It is incredibly important to me. It's either got a dollar and a number figure next to it, or it's a really, really big deal when I save a piece of paper. And this little piece of paper I've saved for eight years. This little piece of paper. And the story of this little paper is this. Is that eight years ago, I had the opportunity to speak at a winter teen camp for junior hires. And I was speaking at this camp, and, and uh, I, I asked the question. So, so this paper was so I could get to know the 100-plus the junior hires that I had never met before so I could somehow tailor my lessons to them. And so I gave them a piece of paper, and I said, um, like, number one, like, who is, who is Jesus to you? That's helpful to know if you're going to talk to them about Jesus. So who is Jesus to you? And number two was, like, 
Um, I forget, it was something number related, like how many Jolly Ranchers are in a bag or something like that. Um, and then number three was, what's your biggest fear? And number four was, what, what football team do you like? And this person wrote Steelers, so I should edit that. <laughs> no, don't applaud that, come on. Um, so so this, this little girl, um, this beautiful, sweet, funny, because she drew a whole bunch of little stuff on the back, um, this beautiful, sweet, little, funny Asian girl, um, she wrote this, and I, I just want you to, to know what her answers were here. She said, who is Jesus? He's God's perfect son. Um, number two, how many Jolly Ranchers? 100. Number three, your biggest fear, to get bullied. Get bullied, um, to be picked on, and people talking about Asians in a mean way. beautiful little girl, intelligent, smart. And that's her biggest fear. And it broke my heart to think about it from somebody else's perspective. To think about the pain. And it might be awkward for you, but it might be healing for them. Because they might have been bullied, and they might have been looked at, and they might have had a harder time. It might have been more difficult for them to get the opportunities that we've gotten. And so it might be awkward for you, but I, I, bet, I bet it's going to be healing for them. And so I'd love for, you to, I'd love for you to make friends across a racial line. I'd love for you to make, make friends across a linguistic barrier. Not because you're gifting your friendship to them, but because you love. And it's important to Jesus. Connect with somebody who's different than you. It can be one of the most incredible experiences. It's not easy, but love is worth a few extra steps. And it's worth your time. It's worth your education. It's worth crossing the barriers that Jesus sought to destroy. You know, you know what I realized that a language barrier, a cultural barrier, a proximity, like a nearness barrier, you, you know what they really are is, is convenience barriers. It's just not convenient for me to do it. If you want to aspire for what God aspires in life, you know, you know what you do? You look your biological tendency to go towards people who are similar to you. You look it right in the face. And you say, I don't need that anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to erase a biological tendency and replace it with a theological tendency to do what God wants me to do. And I'm going to love people no matter who they are. And so, so let's sing new songs. Let's sing new songs of how he broke down barriers through us. Let's pray new prayers and ask him to help us love people we never thought we would love. Let's expect God to do great things because he always has. As we pray, Nepali team, come on up. I want you guys to just lead us in worship the way that you would lead your people in worship. We just want to be part of it. We just want a little foretaste for what God's going to do in the kingdom of heaven. This is different for us. Sometimes different is good. Because if admiration is the highest of human pleasures, celebration of a united people is the highest of divine pleasures. So as we make a little change over here, just enjoy hearing other people praise the same God. They cost the same, took the same path to get there, and we have the same purpose forever. Let's pray. God, you're incredible. I pray, Lord, that this would be important to us. I pray that we'd tell stories of how incredible your love was. You know what I find fascinating, Lord? We read the Bible and we, we just naturally read it as if it's written to Americans. It's not. It's written to people. 
And that same word has moved people all over the globe to worship you. I hope that excites us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You do whatever you have to do right now. Go ahead. I asked them if they wanted me to sing with them. Good morning, everybody. I'm back again after, I think, eight or nine months. And I want to say thank you so much for your support and help. And it's our pleasure being with you guys here, joining our worship team. And most of the time, uh, Pastor Matt saw how I play a guitar. But God brings a lot of uh, worship leaders. They are a youth from our church. And they are going to sing a Nepali. It might be sounds different. But the song says, We're happy with joy because of Jesus. And I want to tell you the title of songs. We praise everything we do because of his love. That is Jesus. I don't want to say more than that. They are going to pray. Thank you so much again. We all are happy and we are we don't have nothing to give you unless we pray for you guys. Every our prayers, we remember you. I want to say thank you so much for your help and support. Thank you, Pastor Matt, everybody.
That was awesome. That was incredible, guys. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I taught him his guitar lessons. <laughs> it was incredible. You're welcome. Good job. <laughs> I love it because you know what you see? You see hearts. You see hearts. And they're real and they love Jesus. Let's make more of them. Let's find people, love them, bring them to Jesus Christ, and it doesn't matter where they're from, what language they speak, what their skin looks like. Let's just love people so they love Jesus Christ. God, you're amazing. This is for your glory. I pray that we keep it going and we sing new songs. In your son's name we pray, amen.